the La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune. Dark Lacrosse is a suite of programs that feature the seedier side of lacrosse history and also include a downtown walking tour, a trolley tour, and an annual stage production with new content each year. We are known as the world's oldest profession, and with very good reason. For whether we were called harlot or hussy, hooker or trollop, soiled dove or Winchester goose, strumpet, bawd, or courtesan, and whether we were working in a brothel or a stew, a bagnio or a bordello, a candy box or a sporting house, we have been around since the beginning of recorded history. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Frankie LaSalle. I was born in northern Wisconsin in 1854, 13 years after Nathan Myrick established a trading post on Barren Island and became the first white settler in La Crosse. Now, my birth name was Julia Donovan, but as such a moniker does not inspire much in the way of male passion, I changed my name to Frankie LaSalle moved to La Crosse in 1874 at the relatively old age of 20 and began my career in the St. Nicholas Hotel at 2nd and Pearl Street. Now, as I said, we have been around since the beginning of time, but perhaps our finest moment, the golden age, if you will, of brothels and madams, came in the 19th century with the collision of two powerful historic events, the arrival of the Victorian age and the opening of the American West. Now, I owe a great deal to Queen Victoria, as I was a product of the Victorian era, a period in history rather notable for its rather contrary views of sex. Consider the medical advice of the time. According to the doctor's wisdom of the period, the average healthy male required sex at least once a week to keep his urges at bay while the average healthy female, at most, once a month. You do the math. As to the money, between 1860 and 1880, the average was $10 to $20 per customer, with about half going to the house, unless you were wealthy. The gold standard for 19th century American bordellos was roughly 300 miles to the south of La Crosse on the levee in Chicago, and run by two sisters, Ada and Mina Everlay. At its peak around 1905, the Everlay Club on Dearborn Street was netting $10,000 a month. A single night's bill could run between $500 to $1,000 at a time when a glass of beer or a good cigar was five cents. $50 was considered the entrance fee. All transactions were handled by check because cash was considered crass. When the client looked over his bank statement, he would find his check endorsed by the Utopia Novelty Company. And it was thanks to the Everlay sisters that one of our bawdiest idioms came into being. As its popularity grew, the Everlay Club's regular clients began to refer to their visits to the club as going to get Everlaid. Over time, the word Everlaid was shortened and thus today we have laid. laid.
Nevertheless, the last 20 years or so of the 1800s was a glorious time. The city's first boom. I rubbed elbows with all of the big names. Lumber Baron A.W. Pettibone, who gave us the land for Pettibone Park in 1890, plus a $50,000 endowment for its maintenance after serving three terms as our mayor during the Civil War years. Gottlieb and Johanna Heilemann, who built their brew house in 1886 and ushered in the golden age of the brewing industry here. Frank, a.k.a. Doc, a.k.a. White Beaver Powell. A veteran of the Buffalo Bill Wild West show, Doc Powell puddled, peddled curatives and promised cures from everything from cramps to baldness to constipation. We liked him so much, we elected him mayor four times. Nymphus Holway, another lumber baron who built his magnificent stone castle on Cass Street in 1891, but died before he had a chance to move into it. Dr. Adolf Gunderson, who quite possibly provided medical care to some of my girls in his first clinic on 3rd and Pearl Streets. Methodist minister John Salzer, who built the Salzer Seed Catalog Company that by the 1890s was mailing out over 500,000 catalogs a year. Included in their product line, seed sent to Hawaii for growing the grass used to make hula skirts. Joseph Losey, the prominent city attorney and common council member who was such a strong advocate for Oak Grove Cemetery that the Losey Memorial Arch was erected in his memory. And of course, Gideon Hickson, one of the most well-known and enterprising lumbermen on the Upper Mississippi Valley, and his historic home finished in 1881. Now, while these notable gentlemen were making their fortunes, so was I. From 1874 until after the turn of the century, I operated a boarding house at 123 Pearl Street, and never during that time did I ever get convicted and jailed for my activities. My secret? Well, as many of my best customers were well-known professional men of business, including many lawyers and judges, once arrested, I would always demand a trial by jury. During said trial, witnesses for the prosecution would suddenly plead ignorance about my profession, and defense witnesses would speak of me glowingly. I'd receive a fine, pay it, and be on my way. The one time that I was jailed in 1883, it was for contempt of court. I told the judge to go to hell. Not being favorably inclined to spend the night incarcerated, however, I slipped through the six-inch bars, climbed down the bedsheets, and escaped. But all good things must come to an end. And around 1913, there came a wave of do-gooders into the state legislature. A series of laws known as the Lindley Laws were passed in Wisconsin that brought to an end the red light districts as they had come to be. I tried my hand at restaurant work, then gracefully retired from public view until my death in 1914. But even in death, Frankie LaSalle still attracted the opposite sex. Just about every clergyman in town volunteered to preside over her funeral service, thinking it would be their one chance to address those who they would never see in their own churches. DeForest Dewey of the La Crosse Rescue Mission ended up with the privilege. His topic was God's love, and it was described in the newspapers of the time as being an unusual address. She was buried in an unmarked grave in Oak Grove Cemetery. 
one other note of interest appeared after her death. It seems that with little fanfare, she donated considerable sums to orphanages and poor families. Despite having made a great deal of money, she had only $3 in her possession at the time of her death. And now I'd like to welcome back in Kelly Creek Sigmund, the recently retired director of the La Crosse Public Library and initiator of the idea for the original walking tour, who you just heard from performing as Frankie LaSalle. In 2004, I was approached by the La Crosse County Historical Society and asked if I would be interested in capitalizing on my theater background by doing an historic portrayal of the city's most well-known 19th century madam, Frankie LaSalle, the queen of the La Crosse underworld. What originally started out as being a single appearance during a major historic festival in the city turned into something much more than that and resulted in me quite possibly being the only public library director in the state who felt it necessary to ask her governing board if it was okay with them if their library director was out portraying a madam in her spare time. It's a tricky thing to discuss madams and brothels in America during the Victorian era. In some cases, the truth matches the romanticized images perpetrated by pop culture. Miss Kitty from the long-running television show Gunsmoke, for example, the whore with a heart of gold. And certainly Frankie LaSalle here in La Crosse, the Everlay sisters in Chicago, Maddie Silks in Denver, and any number of the well-known madams in New Orleans' Storyville district, all were colorful personalities who were quite successful in achieving a romantic notoriety, not to mention also successful financially. Regrettably, these women and the girls they employed were more the exception than the rule. For every Frankie LaSalle or opulent Everlay Club, there were dozens, if not hundreds, of women working in squalor, in many cases carrying their mattress on their backs as they moved from one hole in the wall to another. Many of the poorest engaged in a kind of sex-for-money transaction vulgarly known as the three-penny upright. It is also important to remember the general status of women at this time. Frankie LaSalle died a full six years before women earned the right to vote. Women had very few life options. You either got married and had a family, took the veil and became a member of a religious order, or became some version of the spinster living off the charity of her family. The majority of prostitutes were women who simply had no other way of earning a living. But for those with brains and moxie, they could do quite well, both for themselves and for other women like them. Which brings up one more very interesting tidbit about Frankie LaSalle. There are a number of very short little pieces appearing in the newspapers of the time reporting a local woman, after having been beaten or thrown out by some member of, male member of her family, taking refuge at Frankie's place. Keeping in mind that there was no such thing as a domestic abuse shelter in the 1880s, combined with the information coming out after her death of Frankie's generosity, it is not too much of a stretch to conclude that perhaps, as unsavory as her line of work was, Frankie used her success to help those women who simply had no place else to go. <laughs> ¶¶ 